Welcome to A Texan's View of the World with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Good afternoon. My name is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. As our regular listeners know, and I want to thank each of you for listening and sharing the podcast, we are available on iTunes, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So I hope you'll look us up and share us with your friends. Today, I want to discuss something near and dear to my heart, and that's my faith. In fact, it can't get much more near and dear than that. I attend church on occasion in a small town called Dimebox, Texas. Dimebox is between Burton and Caldwell. Most of the parishioners are local, and they are German. I'm not sure how they escaped from the Lutherans, but we're sure glad to have them. They have names like McKeska and Spacek, and I think total attendance is about 100 per weekend over two Masses. It's a small church and a small parish, and the parking lot has more pickup trucks than sedans. Our only diversity is brought to us by the pastor, Father Joy. His last name is about 20 vowels and consonants all put together, so out of respect for him, I'm not going to butcher his last name. Let's just stay with Father Joy. And he is a joy, literally, to be around. He loves the church, the faith, the ritual, and of course he loves to share his gospel interpretation. Father Joy is from India, and let me digress for a second. When my son Travis was in school, he was taking French. His teacher asked the children, what you call someone who spoke three languages? And they all answered trilingual. Then she asked, what you were called if you spoke two languages? And they all answered bilingual. Then she asked, what if you only speak one language? And after a few moments of silence, none of the kids could come up with an answer. She smiled and said, American. Well, I am a proud American. I only speak one language. And frankly, if it weren't for my dad and his buddies, that teacher would be speaking German right now. But I don't want to get too far afield. That's for another day. Well, I can assure you that Father Joy speaks better English than I do Hindi. But my ability to understand him after a Saturday night is challenged by my old friends, Jim Beam and Jose Cuervo. Accordingly, sometimes my mind drifts off from the lesson. Father always goes 15 minutes, not 14 or 16, but 15. So last week's lesson was one of my favorites, and I was drifting. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 10. The story about the difficulty of a rich man getting into heaven. I like it, but I don't like it. It makes me uneasy because of the subject matter. I'm squirming just thinking about it, because like the participants in the story, most of us want to ask questions that indicate we are anything but whom Christ is talking about when he's sharing a parable. It's frankly an uncomfortable passage. My experience is that every successful person in America is a capitalist until they get to the collection plate, and then they become a socialist. And I accept that I'm guilty as charged as well. Don't believe me? Ask someone to define tithing. You would need a Philadelphia lawyer to discern the answers. Did Christ mean 10% of gross or net? Do I get any ad back for good works or do I don't go to the church? Is the Salvation Army deductible? People will always negotiate when they think they can get, a, get, a, get an edge. But let's forget the percentage for a second and concentrate on God was, what God was saying. He wants your best, your very best. That means he comes first. If it's 10%, give him your first 10, not your last. If it's 5%, same, or 1%. Just make God first. That sure cuts down on the headache of the math. So in the Gospel, Mark 10, the question is asked of Christ, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Let me break here for a second and tell you that I believe in a loving God, not a vengeful one. Moreover, I realize the Israelites were new to this whole Jesus thing, and they didn't have 2,000 years of history, so they were probably trying to feel him out and also leave a little wiggle room. Jesus knew this too. It's human nature, and he was both God and human. How many of us drive 10 miles over the limit because we know the police won't stop you? Come on. Of course you do. If the speed limit's 55, you go 65. If it's 70, you go 80. It's not the speed. It's the fact that you're specifically breaking the law. Heck, even the policemen know that, and that's why they won't pull you over for up to 10 miles per hour. And how many of us have had a couple of glasses of wine with dinner and driven home? Is that against the law? Well, only if you get caught, and of course the answer is yes, it's against the law. But then we try to sell ourselves. Well, I'm only two miles from my house. I can make it. And 99 times out of 100, you will make it, or maybe even 999 times out of 1,000. But the laws are there to protect you and me, not to discourage drinking. Even at the wedding at Cana, Christ was having a good time. Humorously, I'm reminded of the Aggie that heard that most accidents happen within two miles of your home. So we moved. Sorry, just picking on the Aggies who are riding high right now after their big win at Alabama. So I believe in a loving God who is trying to protect us, not punish us. And remember, he was trying to turn the hearts and minds of people who at that time were more worried about the law than they were trying to lead good lives and get to heaven. By the way, this may or not be good theology, but it's a Texan's view of the world and, of course, of my faith. So Christ responds, why do you call me good? Can you believe it? Really? Have you ever heard such humility? If anyone is good, it's got to be Jesus Christ. Good son, good carpenter, good guy, good friend. But in this one passage, he gives all the glory to God because he knows we as humans have very little understanding on a relative basis. Christ then says to the man who called him out, no one is good but God alone. Okay, good to know. So being good is a pretty high bar and certainly not the answer the man was looking for. Good is going 60 and 55 and not 70. Good is doing a rolling stop at the stop sign while no one is coming from a different angle. Good is only having two drinks and driving and not three. See how uncomfortable this can get in a hurry? Because Christ was bringing these folks along slowly, he had to resort to something they knew, the Ten Commandments. I grew up in a Catholic home. Catholics were and are 25% of the population in the United States. That means we are bigger than everyone else individually, but smaller by three times in the aggregate. As a result, we told a lot of jokes about the, quote, non-Catholics. One of my fondest memories is from my neighbor, Sam Watkins. Sam lived down the street. He was a Reformed Jew, not conservative, but according to my definition above, he was a good Jew. He was asking me about Catholic school, and we were discussing the Ten Commandments. I told him we had to learn them from religion class. He bragged that Judaism had predated Catholicity, and in fact, there were originally 20 commandments. I had never heard such a thing. He smiled and said, when Moses came down with the tablets, he announced that he had received the commandments from God himself. The Israelites gathered around. Moses announced that there were 20 commandments. They were to live by, and the entire group gathered groaned. Then Moses smiled and winked and said, I'm just kidding. There were 20 commandments, but I haggled a little bit, and I jewed him down to 10. Sam thought that was the funniest story ever. 
So Christ is telling the crowd to remember the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill. Well, that sounds pretty clear, but what about fetuses? Is that okay? Since they aren't able to live outside the womb? Of course, Jesus had already answered that when he said, protect the children. He didn't put an asterisk on it. You shall not commit adultery. This was a touchy subject because the leaders of the time, the Jewish leaders, had come up with a workaround. You can, quote, give her a bill of divorce. Remember, men were in charge back then, and women were second-class citizens. This was a way for the men to be good but not great. They weren't doing anything to help women. You shall not steal. Again, pretty explanatory. But have you ever been to a store where the person charged you the wrong amount or left an entree off your check or gave you too much change? Is that stealing? Well, I mean, it was their fault, you might say, but it probably is stealing. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Kind of the same thing. I've seen lawyers spin things that were so far from the truth, and then they say, I was just representing my client, as though that makes it okay. Honor thy father and your mother. This is one I really don't understand. My life, my wife, Laura, will tell you that rarely does a day go by when I don't quote my mother or talk about her. Today's kids, everything is a damn debate. Whatever happened to, because I said so. I honored my mother till the day she died. We didn't agree on everything, but I spent exactly zero time trying to tell her why she was wrong. My mother's favorite line was, quote, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. I wish kids had a little more of that and a lot less lip. I'm not saying parents are like God, but in my house they were, and experience goes a long way. So here's the good part. Our protagonist in the story speaking with Christ says, Teacher, I have done all of these things and observed them from my youth. He, like most of us, feels like he's done a good job keeping the commandments. It's kind of funny to watch and pretty painful to put yourself in this scene. It's kind of like when one of my favorite characters, Otter, in Animal House says, quote, The question isn't whether or not we took a few liberties with our female guest, and then winks and says, We did. Like Otter, our protagonist, we are always trying to negotiate ourselves into a better place despite our relative poor performance. This is why Christ calls us to our best 10%, not the least we can get away with to get into heaven, but because he is a loving God, he knows our angle, just like our parents knew what we were trying to do as well. As children, my brother and I got in a fight one time in the back bedroom. We grew up in a three, one-and-a-half house, which was 1,400 square feet large. My brother chased me into the room and threw a shoe, which promptly went through the window. Woo, I said, Mom's going to kill you. When Mom got home, the excuses started. My brother yelled, Jeb started it, and I yelled, Bubba started it. Bubba threw the shoe. And then Bubba yelled, Jeb ducked, or it wouldn't have gone through the window. My mother was not as benevolent as Christ. She heard us both out, whipped us both with a hairbrush, and then made us fix the window. Yes, I know how to repair windows, but the lesson was the same. Doing good was not enough. So the Bible tells us Christ looking at him and loved him, loved him and said to the man, you are lacking in one thing. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow. Just wow. This poor guy never saw that coming. Here he was, trying to be engaging, making sure he asks the right questions, and next he has to be poor? How uncomfortable was that? 
What Christ knew that this man didn't know was what Christ was prepared to do to save him and all mankind. Surely giving up a few shekels wasn't any big ask, or is it? I mean, I like my house and my car and my country club and doing all the things I like to do. Can I wait till I'm just about to die and then give it all up? Then I only have to give it up for a little while. After the man heard this, it says in the Bible, his face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Recently, I had a minor health scare, and believe you me, I was making deals with God like a soldier in a foxhole with no ammo. When I got the all-clear good news, did I repent and honor all my promises? <laughs> Sadly, no. I went back to my old ways, not uncommon, but I'm trying to be good. Christ knew his audience, and as he looked around at those who were gathered, he said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, we don't have many camels around here, but imagine if we did. And Christ had said, It's harder than it is for the new Range Rover Sport to pass through the eye of a needle. As an aside, I don't think Range Rover sells more cars anywhere in the world than in Houston, Texas. And just as all the women in the carpool line at your favorite private school, Kincaid or St. John's or Episcopal, might mumble if you told them to give up their Range Rover or their King Ranch Expedition, they would gasp like Christ followers and say, then who can be saved? Years ago, when the Junior League was all the rage, there was a very funny Episcopalian priest named Jeff Palmer who gave the, quote, talk to the husbands of what he called the Provisional Junior Leaguers. In fact, he referred to us as Provisional Husbands. Back then when the Junior League was very exclusive and it was difficult to get into unless you knew the right people. He talked about the day his wife came home bursting through the door and said, I have the most amazing news. He snidely shared her faux excitement and responded, Are you telling me they're not going to make any more red brick houses in West University Place? No, she said, I've been accepted in the Junior League of Houston. Imagine if one day we all shared that enthusiasm to be accepted into heaven. The best part, of course, is Christ's retort to the man. He says, for humans, it is impossible, but not for God. All things are possible for God. You would think this would have ended the lesson for all gathered, but not for Peter, the apostle. He's still trying to negotiate with Christ, and he says, but we've already given up everything and followed you. In other words, he's saying, what else do you want? Now, Christ shows that love and compassion that we all hope to receive and says, Amen, I say to you. Remember, Christ is all-knowing. He didn't need Peter to tell him what he already knew, and he was quick with his answer. In fact, it's better than we ever thought, better than Range Rovers or private schools or country clubs or red brick houses in West University Place. Christ says, You will receive 100 times more in the next life than in this present age. I mean, how cool is that? Think of all the things you have now and multiply it by 100. I mean, does anyone need a hundred Range Rovers? Wouldn't that be something? Of course not. Heaven is too much for us to even comprehend. So as I sat there in Dimebox, Texas last Sunday, listening to a priest from India give a homily about a subject I wasn't particularly interested in, these were the thoughts that came into my life. I was immediately overwhelmed with an attitude of gratitude. I have already been given a hundred times more than I ever should. And recently, I had dodged a health bullet that could have changed my life. In fact, upon reflection, it appears that Christ has very little of me. I have a beautiful and loving wife, great kids who seem happy, 
and are self-supported with great jobs in their own homes. I have a beautiful home and a great business that makes me feel fulfilled with great clients and great friends. And thankfully, despite my Shipley's diet, Shipley's donuts, that is, I have a good health. And most of all, I have those great friends who make my life worth living every single day. There have been hard times in the past, and I'm sure as I age, health concerns will multiply and we'll have new problems ahead. And of course, it takes me a little longer to recover from Molina's than it used to. The first sit-up in the morning I do takes a little more out of me, and tying my golf shoes requires more balance than I remember, kind of like the flying Walendas. Let's face it, I am no Jack LaLanne, but I am grateful. I'm grateful for a loving God who sees me for all of my faults and worries and hugs me every day and says, Jeb, try to do it a little better and never forget to give me your best. Friends, that's all for now from the Texans View of the World. Remember that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift from God, which is why we call it the present. The present.